Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. You're going to take action in your school community across your campus, across your curriculum, and across your community and culture that embeds environmental literacy and environmental sustainability into all those elements. And then to go a little bit further, to go to the solutionary side of it, it would be to give space within that lesson to say like, well, is there anything that we can do to be a part of the solution for this? You might feel a sense of grief. You might feel a sense of anger. So giving people a chance to actually process that right there in that moment is really valuable. And then saying like, well, what can we do about it? Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... A part of why I wanted to do that 4Cs framework in that way was to show for each one of those things, understanding trauma and stress, resilience and social-emotional learning, you can think about each one of those in community and culture, in curriculum and instruction, and in campus and operations. So it really gives people a chance to say like, what exactly are we doing in empowerment and collaboration in our curriculum? What exactly are we doing in our campus? What exactly are we doing in our community and culture? So that allows them to, again, shift from that, like, reactive, like, just being The drought has entered its third week, and once distant wildfire smoke is inching ever closer. It's not an easy time for this middle school teacher to conduct any sort of lesson, let alone one about climate change. It's as important as ever to take both a solutionary and trauma-informed approach. Andra Yagoyan of Ten Strands and the California Environmental Literacy Initiative supports educators with environmental and climate change education. She joined Ian to discuss trauma-informed classrooms, solutions-oriented approaches, and two impactful teaching frameworks. Though this episode is focused on trauma associated with the environmental and climate crisis, we will be discussing practical solutions and approaches for managing the effects of trauma. So with our direction established, let's start with a working definition of trauma. Great. So for me, like I learned about trauma and trauma-informed practices from some of the professional development I did. And so the, the definitions that I've always seen are as follows. Like trauma is the response to a distressing or disturbing event or series of events mm -hmm. that overwhelms an individual's ability to cope or causes feelings of helplessness or like diminishes their sense of self and their ability to like feel a full range of emotions. And when I dug a little deeper into it, I also learned that like when it comes to trauma, you can have like where you experience the trauma directly yourself or also just witnessing the trauma, right? Witnessing a traumatic event happen. Sure. So that was really helpful for me to, in particular, when it comes to like, you know, environment and other things that maybe, maybe in, in some cases, people aren't always experiencing the trauma directly, but they're hearing about it or they're seeing visions of it on, on a TV screen. And that's so much a part of the world nowadays. And it's not just issues far away for someone else. We are seeing 
so many disasters. I mean, you're based in California and the droughts that have been happening and farther north in British Columbia, there have been the atmospheric rivers, the heat mm-hmm. dome event, wildfires. And a lot of people have directly experienced these and we've all been hearing about them, at least in North America, in yeah. addition to low-lying islands in, say, the South Pacific that we're hearing about with sea level rise and increased flooding. So the trauma certainly has a lot of entry points, it seems, these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to, and also to go a little further on it. So I gave like a broad definition of trauma, but when the idea of being able to connect trauma with the environment and the climate crisis. So I did mm-hmm. a bunch of research just to understand like, what is that deep connection? So the World Health Organization has actually determined that environmental stressors like air pollution, poor water sanitation, noise pollution, all those things can be acute and acute trauma. And they can also be trauma that's chronic trauma that happens over time. So that's that's coming from the World Health Organization where they've said, yeah, these environmental issues are actually considered trauma. And then, of course, a bunch of research has come out to say, yeah, the, the issues that are connected to climate change as well, these disasters that you mentioned, all those things are also can fall into those categories of acute and chronic trauma. And I feel like there's a really good framework for some of this or a really good way to understand this just through the adverse childhood experiences framework. So that framework that is in place already to say like issues that you'd already expect cause trauma. Like, for example, you know, if kids are witnessing death or they have a physical assault or like an Mm -hmm. accident happens, like that's already like what you'd already expect to be those traumatic events. But now the pair of ACEs, so somebody like took that framework and developed it a little further, the pair of ACEs says, well, all of those individual experiences that a child might be having, those adverse childhood experiences can be happening in the context of a community. So in a community, all those environmental factors that I just mentioned fit into that community trauma that they might be feeling. And then somebody else took that framework, that pair of ACEs, and they added that third element of the climate crisis and said, okay, well, all of this is happening in this global context of climate disasters. So it's kind of like three, some people might be experiencing these three levels of trauma, making it, you know, just very hard to manage themselves and self-regulate. And it is crippling because... We know that we have the solutions and there are so many billions of dollars being thrown into slow walking the energy transition and delaying action. And I mean, I know there was very good news recently with the U.S. climate bill. It's not perfect. Mm -hmm. And there were some last minute concessions, but there has been some modeling that has suggested that that could help the U.S. get within striking distance or perhaps even meet its targets by 2030. So that certainly is encouraging, but we have been living for the past 30 plus years in this context of delay, delay, delay. So it hasn't been as easy until perhaps quite recently to say, well, these traumatic events are happening, but these solutions are also being applied and people are on the case. I think it's a bit more visible now, but it's certainly been a frustrating several decades. Yeah. And I think that that can make for, for many people that can make that trauma feel even more intense, right? Because that hopelessness, right? Like dealing with the hopelessness for so long can be really hard, especially when the traumatic issues are increasing in frequency and intensity, right? So if you're, Hmm. let's say that you're like a 15 year old and you're watching the news and you're seeing constantly like, okay, the climate crisis is expected to get much, much worse and nobody's taking action, right? That feels a lot more intense 
probably for them, like hearing that, oh, it's going to get much worse. Nobody's taking action. That feels that like adds to the intensity of also experiencing living in the drought and also experiencing wildfires near you is just this like dread that nobody's doing anything about it. Right. So it, it makes the trauma feel even more intense. And it makes that feeling of helplessness and hopelessness, like really real, right? Like there wasn't a lot of hope in that situation. And so that was not just like a mental thing that somebody was just not like pulling themselves up and like getting over it, right? Like, no, there's really, there has not been a lot of hope for decades and decades. And there's been frustration for decades and decades. So that just like compounds those feelings that the actual experience of trauma and, and really can send people into like a mental spiral about it. Yeah, absolutely. And you're lucky in some ways being based in California where we've seen massive reductions in CO2 emissions from the cap and trade system and Project Drawdown is based in California. Project Regeneration is based in California. And these are places where you can look directly at solutions being undertaken by teams of really innovative people. And I know I've certainly, I have both books, Drawdown and Regeneration on my coffee table. And when I'm feeling kind of you know, this is overwhelming. I go to those books and I'm like, wow, this is real stuff. This is real, interesting, important stuff that's happening. And it it helps a bit. It definitely does. And there is a lot of hope out there. And I guess my thoughts on that is that that is not always shown in the media. And so looking for those, like how to surface all that hope that's there is a big part of what you know, what a trauma-informed practice is, is really showing that there is hope, showing that there are solutions. I know that some of the best times I felt emotionally was when I was going through those books and like, I'd read one solution each night. And so for those like hundred days, I was like, I feel great. This is so exciting, you know? And I think that everybody can have that experience. And it's just a matter of like doing that and building that into routines and helping people, you know, realize that there is hope and that there's possibility and that we can do this. Yeah, for sure. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. With yellowed grass throughout the campus and wilted flowers in the school gardens, there are acute reminders almost everywhere of this latest extreme weather event. Student empowerment could be especially hard to come by right now. So a trauma-informed classroom, which is what we'll mainly be focusing on in this episode, what does that look like? Yeah, so it's interesting. I learned a lot about like just the the general world of trauma-informed practices and how to bring those into schools during my time working at the San Mateo County Office of Education. And at that organization, we were using a framework called the, the University of California, San Francisco's framework, which is called the HEARTS framework. And really that's coming out of like the health industry. And so we at the San Mateo County Office of Education, we were taking that framework that was really being more applied to the health system and saying like, okay, here's how it applies to schools. And it was really great looking at these trauma-informed principles. So I'll just give you a couple of examples. One of them is like understanding trauma and stress, 
cultural humility and equity, safety and predictability, resilience and social and emotional wellness, empowerment and collaboration, and compassion and dependability. So the idea of having a trauma-informed school or a trauma-informed classroom is that you're basically saying all the educators, the faculty and staff on this campus understand the basics of trauma and they understand how to take those six categories and actually build in routines that address those things. So they know how to like build in routines that make kids feel safe and, and that there's predictability in their day. They build in routines and they build in structures that allow for empowerment and collaboration. They, the, as classroom teachers, they're using like a cultural humility response and they're, you know, they're equity informed in the way that they deliver their curriculum. But also like at that individual level, they have a deep understanding of trauma and stress. So when a kid shows up, you know, and is doing something that other people might be called like acting out, right? And I'm doing that in like, I'm putting quotes when yeah, I say that. Quotes. Yes, um, when they feel like that's happening, th instead of saying like, what's wrong with you to this kid, right? Which I think a lot of kids have experienced. I know I myself oh, yeah. experienced that as a child, but instead of taking that approach, they would say, what happened? Like what happened in your day that's causing you to kind of, you know, show up in this way? Right. So it's it's about like acknowledging what's going on and asking a child if they feel comfortable or a teenager, a youth to say, like, here's here's what's going on in my day. And here's why I'm showing up like this, as opposed to making them feel bad for why they are showing up in that way, which, you know, pushes that trauma down further. Yeah. So a trauma informed you know, classroom just like takes all these things into account, puts these practices and routines in place and really tries to move this work forward for for kids. And the HEARTS framework is based on four C's, campus curriculum, community, and culture. How does it manifest across those four areas? Oh, yeah. So that's a great question. So I'll just separate the two. So the HEARTS framework was already in place, and it was the general approach to what a trauma-informed school is. So my role at the San Mateo County Office of Ed at the time was as an environmental literacy and sustainability coordinator. So what I did is I said, this is a great framework for understanding trauma-informed practices, but it was nothing in that framework was obviously addressing the environmental crisis or the climate crisis. So I said, well, what would it look like if this framework was overlaid with a framework that says like, we need to do more in our schools to deal with the environmental crisis and the climate crisis. Gotcha. And so that's the four C's framework. And so that was a framework that I developed um, when I was also at the, when I was at the site level at a different school. And we use that framework to say, um, okay, we need to have a paradigm shift in the overall way that we are in the overall way that we experience school so that our kids will come out of school being empowered to take action for the environment and, and to really make help make the, the world more sustainable. So I designed that framework called the four C's framework. And basically it says like, you're going to take action in your school community across your campus, across your curriculum and across your community and culture that embeds environmental literacy and environmental sustainability into all those elements. And so, so sorry, this is a lot of framework talk, but to bring no, it back important. to yeah, to bring it back to the hearts framework, what I wanted to do was to show people that you can take that four C's approach and make sure that it's trauma informed. So for example, we're asking in the four C's framework, we're asking teachers to talk about the environmental crisis and to talk about the climate crisis in their curriculum, right? But the trauma-informed approach says, don't do that in a way that's going to cause more trauma, right? Do it in a way that's going to say like, hey, you're experiencing this trauma from all these environmental issues. So we're going to help 
you feel empowered to do something about this. Like we're going to use this like solutionary approach right. and we're going to recognize like just to go a little further, if it's in the curriculum subsystem, let's say it's a day where in my region in California, let's say it's a day like you're going to do a lesson on a day where a wildfire has happened and the air is full of, of like smoke, right? That's a day to say, hey, as we come into school today and we want to learn, I also just want to recognize that you are all experiencing trauma right now, right? And that some of you are going to feel a lot of stress about this. Mm -hmm. And while our lesson today is not specifically on wildfires, our lesson today is on blank. Like, I want to address this trauma. And or maybe our lesson today is also specifically on global warming and the climate crisis. And we are actually experiencing a trauma that's like that is happening because of global warming and the climate crisis. So I want to recognize that we are emotionally heightened today. I want to give kids a chance to like process that and then move into like, what can we do about it? Right. So it's really just like surfacing things that people might have before just been like, oh, you know, kids are just gonna have to deal with it. Like that's life. We're gonna do our math lesson or that's life. We're just gonna dig right in and saying like, no, I see what's going on here. So that's kind of a lot. And I can, we can like tease apart that a little bit more, but that's like the basics of why I wanted to overlay those two frameworks is to say like, we gotta, we gotta do this work in our schools, but we need to do it in a trauma informed way. So from a curriculum standpoint, looking at one of the four C's, is this making sure that the climate crisis is explicitly included in the curriculum, but also, as you mentioned before, in a solutionary way? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when I think about the four C's, when I think about like, so we want teachers to be integrating environmental literacy and climate literacy into their, you know, into their curriculum instruction. Let's do that in a way that is solutionary. So let's do that in a way that gives kids a chance to process their emotions and also moves them from just like understanding what is happening to feeling like they can do something about it. So that's that solutionary approach. So that's like on the curriculum subsystem. Like when I think about it that way, Yeah. if, if we're talking about like the campus, then there's that opportunity to say, okay, I really want to see these schools reduce their carbon footprint and make more ecologically beneficial spaces. And to do that in a way that connects back to kids understanding that this is a solution, right? So for example, a lot of schools, especially in California, have like solar panels, they invested in solar panels, and they're like out over the carport, or they're up on top of the roof. But there's no sign that says like, hey, at this school, we have decided to invest in renewable energy. And that's a solution for global warming, right? That's a solution to mitigate global warming and reduce the impacts of climate change. Just a simple sign like that yeah. would be a way to say like, we let's see, there would be a way to say like, we're compassionate and, and we recognize that this is a problem and we want to do something about it, right? So it's kind of just some simple tweaks like that that can help do what people might already be doing, but do it in a way that really makes, reinforces the loop and really is in a trauma-informed way. For sure. Hey, it's Ian. I'm just here to let you know about two of our newest books, Teaching Kids About Climate Change and Teaching Teens About Climate Change. Each one is kind of like an educator's toolbox with ready-to-use hands-on lessons focused on four core dimensions of climate change. Visit greenteacher.com to get your copies. We also have special rates available for bulk orders, and all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. Maybe it's best to first take a step back and see how the students are feeling about the drought and all of the disaster field headlines they're seeing day after day. It is a lot to take in. 
So getting down to the nitty gritty, could you walk us through an example, perhaps of a lesson or learning session on climate change that incorporates a trauma-informed approach? Yeah, so I'll just go back to like a basic introduction of climate change. And so this might happen in a science classroom, this might happen in a social studies classroom, but like typically kids will, you know, they'll be given the opportunity to learn, hopefully they're given the opportunity to learn about like what global warming is and what climate change is. And they'll they'll learn a little bit about like the temperatures increasing. And oftentimes a lesson will just end at that. Like, it'll be like, let's look at like the chemical components of this. If it's like a secondary classroom or if it's an elementary classroom, it'll just be like kind of the basics of global warming that like we are putting too many, you know, releasing too many greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere. They're getting trapped. And so things are getting hotter. Oftentimes people will just leave a lesson at that. Right. And then you think about like, then these kids go home and they're like, well, that sounds scary. (laughs) So the idea of making it trauma informed is to say like, to give a little bit of space in that lesson to say like, how do you feel about hearing that? Like, how does that feel for you? And giving kids just a chance to share their feelings. Uh-huh. Even if it's just like a turn and talk to your partner, like, oh, that's kind of scary. Or gosh, I, I don't really know how I feel about it. Even if it's just that, right? Just giving them five minutes in that lesson to say how they feel is really important. I of course would encourage people to do even more than that, a journal write or something else that like gives them a, a bit more of a, of a time to process their emotions. But even just a simple, like, how does that feel is important. And then to go a little bit further, to go to the solutionary side of it, it would be to give space within that lesson to say like, well, is there anything that we can do to be a part of the solution for this, right? So that we aren't left feeling like super overwhelmed. So is there anything you can do in your life to help reduce your footprint? Or is there anything that you think that our school community could do to reduce its footprint? And then also the best type of lesson is if you actually give kids the chance to design those solutions and implement them, right? Oh, yeah. And now, of course, we've moved beyond like a 45-minute period or like a, you know, a 30-minute. <laughs> yeah, it could minute, be months. Right? But, you're, but you definitely could go to that spiciest end of doing like knowledge to action, solutionary project-based learning based on an environmental topic or issue. What can be done about this tendency that we're seeing now of the fossil fuel lobby to deflect attention to the individual like michael mann's written a lot about this and this this seems to be the new way it's like well i mean bp came up with the carbon footprint as i think a lot of people are are increasingly knowing so that's always sort of this get students to do action but keep this in mind so how would you sort of get around that yeah, no, that's a good point. I knew the second I said individual action that like, that I was like, oh, he's going to ask me this. But yeah. I think so. So there's two things happening here. I do think it's really important to offer up that there are individual things that we can do. I think it's really important to do that in a way that doesn't guilt or shame or put ownership on the individual entirely. Right. Yeah. So I always I when I work with teachers and do professional development around this, like I really go deep into systems thinking and I talk about like, okay, it's really important that when you introduce these concepts that you understand the bigger picture system and that you are able to, you know, do that with your students. Sometimes if you only have a certain amount of time for your lesson, like you're not going to do like a full systems diagram and like get all the way down to like corporate greed. Right. But you are going to (laughs) like, you can put a little bit in there where you say like, okay, what are the things that we can do? But also like, is it always your choice, right? So like, you know, you can't just get rid of all the things in your life. Like you do need shoes, you do need jeans, you need need clothes, you need to eat. And in some cases, 
you may not be able to find those products and those materials that are in a sustainable way, right? And so instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, you now need to go completely without and like abandon everything, it's like, well, what could we then do to try to get the places that we purchase these things from to change their way of producing it, right? So again, you still can do that solutionary, um, that solutionary piece, but instead of doing action, you're doing advocacy. And so sometimes I think that that's a way to, to say like, you're still going to take action here, but it's going to be more in that advocacy space because you are not able to solve this completely because you don't own a factory and are not able to produce the shoes yourself. Right. Yeah. So I do think like you can get real deep into that and give kids lots of time over a couple of day lessons to do that. Or you can just like address that very quickly. But I do think it is important to, to say that and to, to, again, make sure that nobody's walking away from these lessons feeling like I am bad because I, you know, buy my food from this place, or I am bad because I wear t-shirts from this company. It's just an invitation to see if you can make changes. And if you can't make the change because of the circumstance, how can you invite the, the folks who can make the change to do that change? Yeah. I mean, guilt and shame, especially shame, just are not places you want to go. Yeah. And when you're dealing with lessons with really little kids, like, I mean, for years, I've helped teachers kind of move away from like in an energy lesson, right? Like from moving away to, to saying like, well, how are you using energy in your home to more of like, how are we using energy at school? Hmm. Because some kids don't have a home, right? They're foster kids, they're homeless, they don't have that. And so yeah. making these lessons more accessible to kids in a way where you put the, the focus on the school makes it a lot a, a lot better for them. And again, that that is part of being trauma-informed and that cultural humility and that equity side of it is saying like, every kid needs to learn about this, but we don't need to put this on them and their families and we can put this on our school instead. Yeah, and it just makes perfect sense in the end. Yeah. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts... Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like Busy Bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.com. So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. The teacher also wants to guard against falling into the trap of filling her students with overwhelming guilt or shame, two emotions that can serve as major barriers to empowerment. What are some other effective activities to help learners manage trauma? Um, 
recently I've been doing a lot of activities that introduce the concept of environmental crisis and the concept of the climate crisis. So it's kind of some basic stuff like doing some kinesthetic activities where you give people a chance to actually feel the crisis. So I have like a favorite game that I'll try to explain here. It's like called environmental musical chairs. And the basic premise of it is that you you have all these people in a room and you're you're going to ask them to sit down when the music stops. But the, the person who's who's running the game is actually putting down paper or cardboard so that when people sit, they have to sit somewhere where a piece of paper or cardboard does not is not are they are they there so when you play you play a couple rounds and the room starts to fill up with paper and cardboard and it's harder to find a place to sit and so eventually after a couple rounds you say okay like how did it feel to play this and everyone's like oh it like my stress built up over time (laughs) and then after like after that you say well what kind of environmental issues are are like um, is this game a metaphor of and so people will say like oh i get it like the paper represents pollution or the paper represents natural resource depletion or like the cardboard represents a human built landscape and it gives people a chance to really feel that crisis and really see human impact and then after you do that now they've got that feeling inside of them then you say like again back to the trauma-informed piece like where how do how does that emotionally make you feel right like i know how you felt when you played the game but how does that how does that emotionally make you feel you might feel sense of grief you might feel a sense of anger so giving people a chance to actually process that right there in that moment is really valuable and then saying like well what can we do about it and i actually have people like after that activity i usually have people like clean up the room together and we talk about like how how long does it take to clean up human impact right hmm. and that's a hard thing to do And so we talk about, would it have been easier or harder to just stop the behavior in the first place or easier or harder to clean up the human impact when we do it, right? And so it gives people a chance to like feel it entirely, get into the emotional processing side, and then also a chance for them to actually dialogue about like what, what, where might be the the best leverage point for a solution? Is it at the root cause or is it at the like, you know, the consequence? Yeah. So that's a fun activity. And then a couple other activities that I think are really important is this is more for youth and for adults, but we've been doing an activity where people actually get to look at the data of the climate crisis. And like I, we set it up so that they're looking at data from 2025 and data from 2035 and data from 2045. And the data shows like, what are all the projected disasters that you're going to experience in that year? And it helps people, again, kind of be put thrust into the feeling of one year of like, you know, having a number of wildfires, having a couple of high heat days, having a few floods, like it, it puts them into that space of like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of emergency management in 2035 and yeah. gives them a chance to like process that again, where are your emotions? What's your sense of urgency? And then like, what are we logistically going to do here? And is there a way that we can mitigate this to reduce these impacts? Is that based on worst case scenario, like the business as usual, no mitigation efforts? No, we designed that simulation to be more like if we are hitting like mid-range targets. Okay. And even still, it's extremely scary. And part of the reason that I designed that originally was just to help my communities like understand the climate crisis and understand the impacts and recognize that we're already feeling the impacts. But recently I tweaked it a little bit because some of the IPCC reports were showing like some of this is already, I hate to use this phrase because everyone's using it right now, but baked in, right? So some yeah. of this is that like 
we are already expecting this much temperature increase and there's really nothing that we're going to be able to do even if right now we did all the carbon sequestration possible completely got rid of fossil fuels it's still going to be a time delay right so and so some of that increase is still going to tick up until it can just drop again and so some of it is just saying to schools and educators like for on some level you need to figure out disaster and crisis management in the next 15 to 20 years no matter what like even if we did all the greenhouse gas emissions and carbon sequestration you're still going to have an increase in disasters and you're going to have to figure out how to deal with this disruption to learning so some of the activities we we designed are to help people make that paradigm shift and and really go to that space of like how do we go from a reactive stance to a proactive stance and again back to that trauma informed place make it more safe make it more predictable and really have that understanding of trauma and stress and it's also staring the disaster right in the face it's part of this act of hope that people like Britt Ray have written a lot about mm -hmm. it's not ignoring what has already happened what is already going to happen and as you say baked in another term i've heard for that is committed emissions or committed warming just to I like that diversify the lexicon a bit <laughs> I appreciate that <laughs> yeah yeah you're right baked in has certainly been used a lot lately but yeah I mean this this is staring the beast right in the eye yeah yet still coming out thinking in an innovative way and carrying hope that's based on creativity and active solutions mm-hmm yeah. And to bring that back to that four C's framework, like a, a part of why I wanted to do that four C's framework in that way was to show for each one of those things, understanding trauma and stress, resilience and social emotional learning. You can think about each one of those in community and culture, in curriculum and instruction and in campus and operations. So it really gives people a chance to say, like, what exactly are we doing in empowerment and collaboration in our curriculum? What exactly are we doing in our campus? What exactly are we doing in our community and culture? So that allows them to, again, shift from that like reactive, like just being in like constant triage mode to like, okay, let's get proactive. What can we actually do to prepare and, and to not always have to be in, like you're going to have to be in respond sometimes, but how can you mm -hmm. prepare and how can you like lay a foundation for this? So where can educators go to learn more? Well, I, I built out a couple different resources. So one of them, and we can put this, you know, we can put some links to this for folks, but yep, I, for bu sure. I built out a resource that was just kind of introducing the concept of environment and climate aligned trauma informed practices. So it does a little bit of that, like what, how do you define trauma? How do you connect that to environmental issues and climate change? And then, and then also another resource that says, here's, here's how you do this within your schools overlaid with that hearts framework so that people could really jump right into like, what kind of actions can we take in our campus and in our community and culture and in our curriculum? Great. So I'll give you, I can give you those. And then also, I think there's a lot of resources that especially elementary school teachers could use that are really just on like the literacy side. So I have like an environmental book list um, that is a mix of books that deal with like, what is the climate crisis? And what is like the waste crisis and what is an energy crisis and, and kind of explores that. And then books that are more like, here are some solutionaries and here's what they've done. So I feel like that's a great resource to build out a library in a school and then also to build out a classroom library for like an elementary school teacher or a middle school teacher to do that. And my background is actually like English and social studies. So that's kind of why I went to this book list is like I, a lot of people ask me, because I've been doing this work for like 
you know, 15 years or so, they're like, oh, well, you must have taught science. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't teach science. I taught English and social studies. And they're like, oh, how would you even talk about this in those classrooms? And so I'm always like, well, here's all the ways that I've done it. You know, kids can do tons of research, tons of literacy. And I, I do feel like it's really important that teachers in the humanities are teaching about this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As we talked about earlier, like there's a ton of technical solutions already out there, right? Like it's like so much solutions of engineering solutions are out there, but the crisis is, is with our brains and actually doing it and implementing them. Right. And so that's really where the humanity, humanity side comes in. Not to say that we have all the solutions. We still need a lot more like scientific and engineering solutions, but we have a lot of solutions out there and it's really about implementation. It is indeed. Well, this has really been illuminating, Andrew. Thanks so much for taking us on this deep dive. We will certainly share those links with the show notes and we hope to keep in touch. Awesome. Thank you. This lesson is going to be hard, perhaps very hard, but the teacher is committed to being mindful of her approach. The HEARTS framework that she has been diligently implementing should be a big help as should her focus on solutions. This first go-round may well be imperfect, but that's no reason to avoid jumping in with both feet. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargas Nesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. I see all these different book lists pop up and I'm like buying, you know, 10 books, 10 books a month. And I'm like, okay, let's go through that one. My kids are like, another environmental book. I'm like, yeah, let's, we're building out our library. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's just an incredible amount of books out there that people could really, could really utilize.